0: Day three of ACC Media Day from Charlotte, we'll hear from Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney. Can he make it back to the college football playoff? And for UNC, can their player of the year, Drake May, carry that offense? And Big Ten from Indy, we've got the final Big Ten Media Day. What does Luke Fickle bring to Wisconsin and can Matt Rule be the one to fix Nebraska? We've got experts here to break it all down. Welcome into College Football Live. I'm Victoria Arlen alongside Desmond Howard and Pete Thamel. So it is Thursday, a lot to get to, but we are going to start with some major news outside in Michigan. Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA are in discussions about a so-called negotiated resolution for a four-game suspension in the 2023 season. This is tied to an NCAA recruiting investigation into Michigan in which Harbaugh faces a level one violation, the most serious kind for not cooperating with NCAA enforcement. Harbaugh and running back Blake Corm was asked about this impending suspension. Take a listen.
1: Right, so uh, as you probably already know, I mean, I, I can't, not allowed to talk about any aspect of that ongoing um, situation. And I'm with you. I mean, I'd love to lay it all out there. Um, nothing to be ashamed of. And, um, but, but now is not that time. And um, that's about all there is to say about that.
2: You know, we know Coach Harbaugh, whether he's there or not. If he's not there, he's going to be there in spirit. He, he's prepared us enough. You know, so those four games, we can rally together, like I said, if anything, is going to light a fire under us and make us want
0: to win even more. All right, so Michigan's first four games of the season are all at home. Going one step further, only one of the Wolverines' first four opponents had a winning record last season, East Carolina. Now, according to ESPN Analytics, Michigan has a 91% chance to start the year off 4-0. Now, Pete, I'm going to start with you. What went into this decision to suspend Jim Harbaugh?
3: Yeah, Victoria, uh, the, the negotiated agreement that you spoke of is sort of like a plea bargain. And what happened was Michigan was under investigation for recruiting violations. Jim Harbaugh was deemed uncooperative with the NCAA during his interview. And that raised a level one violation, which was worse than the things that Michigan was actually accused of, which was basically COVID-19 <coughs> dead-period recruiting visits. So moving forward, Jim Harbaugh in January had refused to say he lied about this. Now here we are, seven months later, Jim Harbaugh got the verbiage right and the semantical gymnastics were landed in a way where he didn't have to say specifically that he lied to the NCAA, but still did admit to these recruiting violations. So that's a long way to say the committee on infractions will give us a formal ruling next week or in the upcoming weeks. And this suspension is expected to be four games to start this 2023 season.
0: Now, Des, can you talk to us about the impact that this will have on the Michigan team?
3: Well, first, I gotta
4: add that 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 whole word phrase he did symmetrical gymnastics to my <laughs> vernacular. That was pretty impressive, Mister Thamel. I like that. No, but done, uh, I think we we look at the the big the big picture, uh, Pete. You know, he pretty much broke it down the other day too, talking about how this is going to impact Michigan football. And and you saw Blake Coram at the Big Ten Media Day say that it's probably going to light a fire up under them because. Coach Harbaugh can still coach throughout the week. He just can't coach the games on Saturdays. So he'll still be around. He'll still have a presence. And the guys are probably looking at this like they're doing our coach wrong. I mean, when you heard what Blake said at the at the interview table at the uh, Big Ten media days, it'll probably light a fire up under the guys.
0: Light a fire up, and we'll see kind of where that goes. But let's keep that Michigan storyline going and despite back-to-back college football playoff appearances Michigan is still seeking its first national championship since 1997 the Wolverines in Georgia can join Alabama Clemson and Oklahoma as the only programs to make three straight playoffs running back Blake Corum was on pace to shatter the Michigan's single-season rushing records until he tore his meniscus and sprained a knee ligament in November. Corm was third in FBS in rushing and scored 18 touchdowns before the injury. And the Wolverines drubbed arch-rival Ohio State by 22 points last year in Columbus. The game figures to carry high stakes again as the winner has made the college football playoff four times in the last six meetings. Now, Jim Harbaugh spoke with Pete Thamel about his starting QB, J.J. McCarthy, earlier today.
1: The thing that jumps out the most to me is the first-year starting quarterback last year. And I can't think of any first-year starting quarterback that had a better year than J.J. McCarthy did is – in his first year, uh, consider it generational, mm-hmm. once uh, once in a generation uh, uh, as a Michigan quarterback. And it's his willingness to do anything for anybody else on the team that, that sets him apart. He's got all the physical traits, all the, um, the throwing ability, accuracy, arm talent. Uh, you know, he reminds me of uh, like Josh Allen, mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they have all those same physical traits. But when I... When I watch, just looking at through the keyhole, Mahomes, Josh Allen, um, their willingness to do anything from the team really, really comes through when you, you hear them talk about their teammates and their teammates talk about mm-hmm. them. Um, that's what I see from J.J. McCarthy on a daily basis.
0: Those are big names to compare it to. Now, <coughs> Des Michigan has made the playoffs the last two seasons but has yet to win. What is it going to take for them to make it to that next step?
4: i tell you what, uh, Victoria and Pete, I believe that the the whole situation that's going on right now with Coach Harbaugh and the, the players thinking he's being treated unfairly kind of reminds me of when I joined the Green Bay Packers in 1996. That same summer, Brett Favre was coming out of rehab and the media was trying to, you know, there's a bunch of speculation. Why was he in rehab? Was it alcoholism? Was it painkillers? And because of the way the media attacked Brett Favre, <clears throat> we as players, we just circled the wagon and we wanted to protect our guy. So it's kind of like the us against the world mentality. And that season ended with us, the Green Bay Packers, winning Super Bowl Thirty-One. So I get get that same feeling as far as the way the players are going to approach it. This just might be the boost that they need to get over that hump that you mentioned, Victoria, and and winning um, the playoff game, getting to the championship game and potentially, possibly winning a national championship.
3: Well, Desmond, before uh, you fit the Wolverines for rings, we'd like to know if you have any eligibility left. Uh, The biggest question mark for Michigan this year, in my opinion, is at the wide receiver position. Uh, They have back-to-back Joe Moore award-winning offensive lines. They have the best tailback room in the country. What I think is going to happen is in the past game, we need to see Michigan evolve to be able to throw the ball downfield more. I think Colston Loveland may be the best tight end not named Brock Bowers in college football, but does Michigan have the deep vertical downfield threats to meet J.J. McCarthy's expanding skill set?
0: Both great points. Desmond, I love how you you compared that and, and Pete as well. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting storyline to follow throughout the entire season. And another very interesting storyline to follow is Colorado, the Buffaloes. The Big 12's presidents and chancellors voted unanimously on a conference call Wednesday night to accept Colorado as a new member, sources told ESPN. Now, Colorado is expected to formally apply for membership Thursday, the same day the school's board of regents is holding a special board meeting that sources say include a vote on the move from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. It is expected the final steps are to be taken today and a deal to be formalized. Now, let's take a look back. Colorado was a member of the Big 12 before leaving for the Pac-12 in 2011. Now, the Buffs did not find much success in the Conference of Champions, recording only two winning seasons, which includes the shortened 2020 campaign. And on the bright side, Colorado's last conference title came as a member of the Big 12 back in 2001. Now, Pete, what more can you tell us about Colorado's decision to join the Big 12?
3: Well, Victoria, it's it's all but over. All they need to do is get fitted for cowboy hats. Um, the the Colorado is headed that way, and it's a culmination <laughs> of frustration that really stems back from Colorado's position to when Larry Scott was the commissioner. Uh, obviously, the protracted Pac-12 attempts at television negotiations have been frustrating the Colorado brass, and they looked. East, where they were just as recently as, uh, as 2011, and said that's a more stable future than the Pac-12. Um, the biggest indictment of this move, of the Pac-12, is that they didn't wait for hard television numbers to come through from the Pac-12. They said, you know what? We like the deal we're getting, and, and we're going to go, and that obviously uh, creates some ripples of chaos out West.
0: Chaos, indeed. Now, Des, what do you make of this move from Colorado's perspective?
4: It it makes perfect sense. Uh, Like Pete alluded to, when you're looking at the Pac-12 and you look at what uh, Kevin Warren, the former commissioner of the Big Ten, was able to do under the cover of night with nobody, you know, noticing, which was to snatch the Pac-12's crown jewels in USC and UCLA and get them to join the Big Ten without anybody hearing a whisper about it. Then you understood that, hey, something's going on in the Pac-12 it doesn't have the stability that it used to have and I think that, you know, Colorado was never the perfect fit in the Pac-12 and I think it's a better fit for them in the Big 12 and as a matter of fact, when you look at the way this transpired, I heard Pete that the timing of it is so perfect that now Colorado can exit the Pac-12 without even having the having to pay an exit fee. So it's kind of like they're divorcing the Pac-12 without having to pay alimony, so it's a win-win for uh, for Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes.
0: If we get nothing more out of this show, it's that it's the fact that there's no alimony, no alimony for Colorado. No. Speaking of the poor Pac-12 who gets no alimony, uh, Pete, what does this mean for the future of the Pac-12 aside from no alimony? <laughs>
3: Well, the Pac-12 needs to needs to circle the wagons right now. It is a uh, it is a 9-team conference that has lost its two Bell Cow members and then lost another valued, you know, a valued member in Colorado. Uh, the logical replacement that people have talked about internally for weeks at the Pac-12 is they anticipated this move is San Diego State. But before we just slide them in, you have to remember the Pac-12 is going to follow Victoria what Oregon and Washington want to do. And we've seen time and time again in conference realignment that the bell cows of the league in, in Oregon and Washington obviously want to go to the Big Ten. They may not want more members in that league because it just slices up the financial pie more. So if you're going to look to what's going to happen next in the Pac-12, follow what the Ducks and the Huskies do.
4: That's a great point, Pete. And uh, you, especially when you talk about slicing up the pie more, uh, I think that the Pac-12 is, they're going to have to find a way to get some, some, some teams of value so they can add more value to their conference. Because I still believe that when it's all said and done, if there's going to be like three or four power conferences, I believe we need one on the West Coast. And the Pac-12 still has to be that conference. They're just going to have to make some smart moves because at this point, you know, their, their resources uh, uh, are being depleted when you lose UCLA, you lose, you lose USC, and now you just lost Colorado. So at this point, and, and, and you said, hey, follow Washington, follow Oregon. They have to make sure that Washington and Oregon, that they stay put and that they can bring in some more programs of value.
0: They're gonna have to do uh, some pretty solid speed dating with teams to find uh, find the right <laughs> find the right fits. All right, we got a lot more coming up on College Football Live. Still to come, we'll turn our attention to Clemson and the ACC. What must Dabo and company do if the Tigers are going to return to the playoff for the first time since 2021? Plus, Drake May had a record-setting freshman season under center for North Carolina. How serious should the Heisman talk be for the Heels QB this season? Was the final day of ACC Media Day in Charlotte. And of course, a team we're always talking about is Clemson. So let's get to some Clemson storylines. After missing out on the college football playoff for the second straight season, Well, Clemson is looking to make it back to the mountaintop. The Tigers have won 10-plus games in 12 consecutive seasons, the third longest streak in FBS history. New offensive coordinator Garrett Riley and QB Cade Klubnik look to improve Clemson's offense that averaged just over 385 yards per game over the last two seasons, compared to nearly 502 yards per game from 2015 to 2020. And the Tigers will have to replace a ton of production on defense after Miles Murphy, Brian Brees, and K.J. Henry all left for the NFL. The trio combined for 13 and a half of the team's 44 sacks last season, which ranked fourth in the FBS. Head coach Davo Sweeney addressed the media today.
1: People talk about Clemson. We've had 12 really, really good years in a row. Some great years uh, in there. It, it's hard to get to a Final Four <laughs> when there's a, 133 teams trying to do it and uh, we've been there as, as much as anybody and if not going 8 years in a row means we stink well I guess we stink uh but you know maybe we can get back there this year and be able to say we went you know 7 out of the last 9 years that would be pretty cool uh, accomplishment but that's not going to happen if we don't win the opener you know that's all we're focused on none of the rest of that stuff really just what we what we can control and that's our prep our mindset, um, you know, how we attack each day.
0: We got E.J. Manuel here with us. All right, E.J., I'm going to start with you. What does Clemson need to do this season if they're going to make it back to the college football playoff?
2: Well, Victoria, it starts at the quarterback position. If you look Mm -hmm. at the past two seasons when Clemson hasn't been in the college football playoff, I won't say it's all on DJ Uyunglele, but there just wasn't that level of consistency. Now you bring in a new offensive coordinator in Garrett Riley. He's going to be able to help mature this young quarterback, Kate Klumnik. And look, I think he's special. When he had opportunities to play last season, there were fireworks. And sure, some of it was him using his legs. But I believe now with the spring of him being a full-time starter, you got two great running backs and Will Shipley and Bill Maffa. He's going to have full reigns of this offense. And you look at the way Riley was able to get TCU's offense going, I'm expecting the same thing from the Tigers.
4: When you look at the uh, Tigers and when they were on that run, I mean, they had just exceptional play at the quarterback position, especially ending with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. And we thought that D.J. Wangalale was gonna be the next guy in line, but he just didn't feel, he didn't fill out the way we thought he would at the quarterback position. He had moments of brilliance, but nothing consistent, consistent. So they couldn't play that complimentary football, put them in bad situations too often, kept the defense on the field a lot because the offense was three and out too many times. Cade Klubnick, as a freshman, came in with a lot of hype, and he was like a breath of fresh air because he could make plays with his legs, that DJ couldn't, but once defenses, they figured that out, that he was going to be a guy using his legs more than his arm, then they were able to pretty much stop or contain Kate Klubnick. So now he's had an opportunity to play in some live games. He understands the speed of the game. I'm really excited to see what Kate Klubnick does this season as a first-year full time starter.
0: All right, let's talk about Cade Klubnick, all right, because he saw a significant time under center in Clemson's final two games of the season last year, but had mixed results in the ACC championship and the Orange Bowl. Odds makers are high on the rising sophomore, though, as he is currently tied for the fourth shortest odds to win the Heisman this season. Now, Des, I want to ask a little more detailed on uh, what you want specifically to see out of Cade this season.
4: Yeah, it's very easy. I just want to see consistency and I want to see him uh, be able to sit in the pocket and read defenses and not go to his default. When you're a young quarterback and you're a dual threat quarterback, your default is always to use your legs to get out of trouble. I want to see him read defenses, go through his progression. First read, second read, if things are getting a little shaky in the pocket, don't escape the pocket with your legs, but move your legs, I mean, use your legs in the pocket to move around to buy yourself some more time until something comes open down the field. So I don't want him to go to his default instantly once his first read is covered. I want him to be able to read the defenses, look at the front. Things should slow down for him now, EJ, and he should be able to to play with better composure inside the pocket this season. Dez, I completely agree. And for K Klubnik, the picture
2: will slow down. Again, you have the full spring, where now this is your offense. It's not DJ Uyenglele's offense like it was last year. This is his show. And he has a ton of pieces around him, guys. And the other piece is the defense. You bring back these great linebackers and Trotter, and Barrett Carter, bring back some solid DBs. They're gonna give him some short field opportunities. So the big key for K Klubnik as well, when he does take off and run and finds a way to make plays, protect yourself. There was a few times where I think it was just him being young, trying to make things happen where he could have got blown up. This year, they need him the entire season. So you think about potentially a uh, 14-game season, you want him on the field. So I would say also, make sure he takes care of his body and doesn't take those blows that he doesn't need to.
0: Yeah, another team we'll be talking about is, of course, North Carolina. So let's shift gears a little bit over, keeping it in the ACC. Last season, North Carolina went 9-5, and, and it's the best record in a season since 2015. The Tar Heels will look to continue their success and advance to back-to-back ACC championship games for the first time in program history. Now, Drake May looks to build off a strong season, which saw him win ACC Player of the Year and finish 10th in the Heisman voting. He also set conference freshman records in touchdown responsible for and total offense. Now, May will need to utilize his other targets this season after his two leading receivers in 2022, Josh Downs and Antoine Green, left for the NFL. The two combined for nearly 42% of receiving yards and 18 of the 38 receiving touchdowns for the Tar Heels last year.
1: The thing you don't know about him is he's got... All the other intangibles, uh, he anticipates well. He thinks he doesn't make bad plays. The ball is usually where it's supposed to be. But he competes, and and you got to be able to compete if, if you're going to make it, and especially at that position, you've got to compete. You have got to compete harder than any of the other kids because they
2: watch you. The team started drop eight. Um, I mean, it made me be patient and it's take the defense gives you. You know, that's what you've got to make. You know, all the yards in one play. You can kind of. Kind of check it down, down the field, and uh, still end up with seven points on the board. So uh, that – and off the field, just handling the media. You know, this is – it's a crazy world nowadays in college football, NIL and all this stuff, transfer portal, so just handling that and uh, just taking it day by day and keeping the main thing, main thing. That's winning football games.
0: All right, EJ, there was a a lot that that Drake said. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard it earlier, but is – aside from all that, is uh, his arm and leg talent enough to carry uh, UNC's offense?
2: Well, look, it's more than enough. And last year, obviously, he was the leading passer, but he was also the leading rusher. And uh, mm. I'm sure Coach Mac Brown doesn't want that to be the same thing this season, and they got a stable of running backs. Amari Ann Hampton, Elijah Green, some guys that can really get it done on the ground to take some of that pressure off of Drake May. And they got a new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. I'm sure those two have been tied by the hip this entire offseason to make sure they're on the same page. But when you talk about the production that Drake May is going to give you, uh, it's a high level of talent. He reminds me a lot of a young Justin Herbert when he was at Oregon. So I'm expecting fireworks once again from the signal caller in Chapel Hill.
4: I tell you what, EJ, uh, I agree with you 100%. He does remind me of Justin Herbert, too. I said that last year when I watched him play. You know, as a freshman, you know, the expectations aren't that high. People know that the game may be fast for you, and they expect you to go out there and make mistakes. But now as a second-year starter, he's going to have to carry the team. You know, he doesn't have downs. He doesn't have green. He's going to have to make everyone around him better. So I think he's up for the challenge. But had he finished stronger, you guys just said he finished 10th, in the Heisman race a year ago, had he finished the season stronger, he probably would have earned himself a trip to New York because he was on that type of trajectory. So I want to see now if he can pick back up from the high point that he had during the season a year ago, not the way he finished, because he didn't finish the season strong by any stretch of the imagination. So it's really going to be interesting to see him week one when College Game Day is in North Carolina for UNC Versus South Carolina Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks, baby. So yeah, I get to see this man, Drake May, live and in person, week one. I can't wait. What a great comparison too, because
0: Justin <laughs> Herbert just got paid. So all, all the power to, all the power to May. All right, thank you, fellas. We're gonna shift gears over to a little bit of a more serious matter, Northwestern's hazing scandal is still being litigated, but now another Big Ten school is in the spotlight. Front Office Sports published a story saying that P.J. Fleck's Minnesota program is, quote, fraught with intimidation and toxicity. The story cites something called a Fleck bank in which players could build up credits through community service to get out of positive drug tests and other transgressions. Fleck addressed the allegations at today's Big Ten Media Days.
2: Yeah, first of all, uh, the Fleck Bank, uh, mostly used in 2017 and 18, was an analogy in a team meeting talking about the more you invest into a program, the better experience you're going to get out of it. There was no currency ever exchanged. There was no coins that ever existed. It was an analogy simply to explain investment for life, a life lesson of investment. Simply that. No one ever got out of any type of Uh, punishment for that. And just so everybody knows, in punishing our football team, that word punishing, in fact, our athletic department has taken over our disciplinary type actions. Uh, We do not use physical activity to discipline our players at the University of Minnesota, and we have never done that.
0: All right, Pete, what more can you tell us about these allegations against P.J. Fleck?
3: Well, Victoria, P.J. Fleck said to ESPN today that uh, the allegations were baseless. And uh, I really feel like in, in situations like this, which we've seen arise, and I have a feeling we're going to see more arise, is to, to follow the actions of the school. Uh, Athletic Director Mark Coyle came out strong in, in behind P.J. Fleck. He released a long statement that's in the story. Also, I think it's really telling that Minnesota has not launched an investigation or there's no, there's no there's been no action other than support. So... I do feel like we're in an era now where aggrieved players feel like they have a platform to come out, and and that's what this feels like. Guys who didn't have a good experience are are, are speaking out against it.
0: Mm, And so this is a story that we will keep following along. Pete, thank you so much. All right, still to come on College Football Live, Devin Leary is out, and Brennan Armstrong is in as QB of NC State. What kind of impact will will he have with the Wolfpack this offseason? More College Football Live your way. Welcome back to College Football Live. QB Brennan Armstrong is inching closer to his fall debut at NC State after entering the transfer portal last December. He ended his UVA career as the program's all-time record holder, nearly every record he could possibly hold, but struggled to adapt under new head coach and offensive coordinator.
1: With Devin leaving and also losing, you know, Finley, that that room was short. We needed to bring someone else in to compete. Um, when it ended up being Brennan, you know, getting a guy that's played that much football, uh, it doesn't decimate or diminish anything that MJ's done. We're so excited about him and the way he leads and what's in front of him. But he's 19, he's played in five games, Brennan's 24 and has played in 30. So there's obviously, you know, a distinguished difference there between that. Brennan wanted to get to know our program, our players, our defense. He wanted to be on a team, you know, and, and I think having two coaches he was with was a part of the process, but he wanted to get to know way more than that.
0: All right, EJ, do you think that Brennan will return to form with the Wolfpack after struggling last season?
2: Absolutely, Victoria, and I'll tell you why. He's back reunited with his old offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. Robert and I, Now that was a huge landing for Coach Dave Dorn to get Robert and I to leave Syracuse and come bring his offensive philosophy to uh, to uh, NC State. Now, the key for Brennan Armstrong is making sure the 10 guys around him understand what to do. The last time Brennan was in this offense under an eye, he only passed for 4,000 yards and also rushed for nine touchdowns. So as far as him getting his game back to the form it was in 2021, I think it starts really with his relationship with Coach and I.
4: 100% EJ, I agree with you, my man, because once he gets back with the Nye, you know, it's going to be the familiarity. He knows the language, you know, the expectations. Don't forget, a year ago, he struggled because he was trying to learn a new system. And when you're trying to get the, the terminology down, that just the expectations from your OC, certain things, they don't click naturally. But now with the Nye, he knows Robert. Robert knows Armstrong. I think this is going to be a, a perfect situation for NC State. Their offense will flourish under Arm- Brennan Armstrong. I'm excited to see this young man play for the Wolf Pack this year.
0: Maybe he'll break some new records for the Wolf Pack. We shall see. Who knows? Who knows? All right, let's do maybe, some. Maybe. Uh, oh, what do you, what do you think, EJ? E- e- you think he'll break some records?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he was with Robert and I, I, mean, it was fireworks. And this was a guy that we thought might even win the Heisman, like Desmond Howard here on this show. So uh, I think that was a great win for him because you still have a year of eligibility and what way to exhaust that last year with your old OC where you had the success. So it was a great opportunity for him.
0: No big deal. No big deal, Desmond. No big deal. All right. Uh, we'll keep <laughs> things... Heisman, not bad. <laughs> Yeah, 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 no big deal. All right, we'll keep this moving. All right, let's do some uh, ACC win totals, shall we? All right, all uh, all of these odds are provided by Caesar Sportsbook, so we're going to start with EJ for each of these, all right? So we're going to start with NC State over or under seven regular season wins.
2: Yeah, I'm going over for NC State. Again, the offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Peyton Wilson's back on the defensive side. And I really think when you start against UConn, that team is much improved. But Notre Dame game will be key to see how they move throughout the first half of their season. So I'm going over with the second.
4: I agree with EJ. I'm going over. I think they can get over seven games. Are you kidding me? They were eight and five a year ago, and they they bring back 13 starters. I'm going over. They should win at least eight games, if not nine. So I studied the the schedule all afternoon, I say, yeah, this is a, at least an eight-win team right here, so I'm going over.
0: All right, we love the dedication, love the dedication. All right, Clemson over <laughs> or under 10 regular season wins?
2: Yeah, again, over. Uh, Clemson, I think, can easily win 11 games. Now, it's going to be tough because there are three or four teams that will give them fits, Naturally, you look at Duke as the first matchup. I think that's going to be a game where it's good on good because they have a very excellent quarterback in Riley Leonard. But also that Florida State game is when I have my eye on. If they can get past those two, I can see Clemson winning 11-plus.
4: Yeah, I'm agree with EJ. I think over. I don't know if it's going to be so easy. I still want to see what Kay, Kl- Kay Kupnick does at the quarterback position, especially when defenses start to get a, a lot of film on a new quarterback and start to figure him out. They struggle sometimes, but I do like the fact that Clemson's bringing eight starters back on defense. And let's not forget about the uh, playmaker that they have, Will Shipley, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll ship Shipley for sure. All right, over, under, UNC, eight and a half regular season wins.
2: Once again, another over. And uh, Carolina can really start their season off with a bang by beating South Carolina. And it's somewhat of a neutral side game, but it's in Charlotte, so that's not too far from their fan base. So I believe, look, if they can start off fast there, you got an excellent quarterback. The defense should be much improved in year two under Gene Chiswick. so I'm going to take the over as well.
4: Yeah, again, EJ, I agree with you. I think that this team should win at least nine, if not ten, games, returning 17 starters, nine on offense, eight on defense. Um, I'm going for UNC to have at least a nine-win season, if not ten. So I'm going over for Carolina.
0: All right, I'm taking I'm taking my notes. I'm gonna remember all of these. All right, thank you, fellas. We're gonna take a break. Yeah, take your notes. All right, there's a new man in charge in Lincoln. Can Matt Rule turn things around for Nebraska? We'll hear from the new Huskers head coach next on College Football Live. We've got the Big Ten Media Day wrapping things up, and Wisconsin is all the talk because Luke Fickle has entered the chat. Let's get to the storylines for the Badgers because it's a new era in Madison as former Cincinnati coach Luke Fickle takes over the reins of the Badgers. Fickle is hoping to lead Wisconsin to its first 10-win season since 2019 and first Big Ten title in over a decade. SMU transfer Tanner Mordecai is expected to start under center. Mordecai was a Davey O'Brien Award semifinalist last season and finished his SMU career as the all-time leader in pass touchdowns and third in passing yards. And Braylon Allen is on track to be one of the best running backs in Badger history. Allen rushed for over 1,200 yards last season, becoming the fifth player in program history to rush for 1,000 yards as both a freshman and a sophomore. Here's Luke Fickle with Pete Thamel.
3: Do you feel like Wisconsin can swing with the blue bloods of the sports? Are the bones there for this program to compete for playoff spots and, and, and stay in that upper echelon of college football?
1: There's no doubt. I mean, I I had this vision walking in the door that we were going to have that opportunity or else didn't believe it would be the right place for me. And everything has exceeded my expectations from even the talent level to the support and the things that we are going to have to do to continue to grow and evolve. And it doesn't just happen. We all understand that. Um, But in order to have the kind of the bones and the backbone and the, and the insights to be able to do that, we all understand it, it takes a lot. And it has to do with the, 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 the league in general, but then it really has to do with the mindsets of the people that are around you, and that's what I've probably been as excited about as anything.
0: There's the man of the hour, Pete Thamel. Pete, what more can you tell us about your conversation with Luke Fickle?
3: Well, Victoria, I think the the buzzword in Madison is going to be modern. Uh, One of the reasons why the Paul Christ era ended is that the recruiting department and the actual operation, not just the 85 scholarship players and the coaches, but building a modern football organization in this time was something Wisconsin didn't have. Luke Fickle obviously did that at a high level at Cincinnati. He brought them to a playoff. So I feel like... The, the actual structure of Wisconsin has been modernized, as has the offense. They hired Phil Longo from North Carolina. He obviously runs a high-tempo sort of Baylor hybrid offense. That is not something Wisconsin has seen. Uh, I used to call their offense the free bacon offense. There's a bar called Wando's in Madison that gives out free bacon on Monday nights, and all their linemen went there, and they played like it. They played slow, they played plotting, but they were effective. So we're going to see a more modern offense from Luke Fickle at wisconsin hey pete i don't know
4: if you're aware of this but i'm a cyclist and i like riding my bike a lot my road bike and i was actually at waterloo wisconsin in june at the trek 100 and i was hanging out with my guy john and stitch and everyone was talking about the high expectations up there in madison as a matter of fact i stayed there and when i walked around people was talking about the new coaches Luke and his staff and a new scheme. And they also talked about how they're going to have better or more athletes on the outside but still going to run the ball with Allen. So this team right now, everyone's very excited about it. It's like a breath of fresh air. I just think things might have gotten a little stale with Paul Chris and Luke Fickle. I mean, we saw what he was able to do in Cincinnati. He got them into the college football playoff. Oh, man, I, the, the Badger fans, those those folks are so excited right now, and the expectations are extremely high. I think you got to look at that game. Was it? Is it October 28th when the Buckeyes come to town? That's the one to circle. That's the one to look at to see exactly where they are as a program in 2023.
0: They'll be baking on the 29th to celebrate. That's that's all we're going to say is they'll be they'll be baking the next day. Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's shift gears over to Nebraska because Matt Rule revitalized the Temple and Baylor programs and will look to do the same at historic Nebraska. The Cornhuskers have not had a winning season since 2016 with just seven wins over the last two seasons. Georgia Tech transfer Jeff Sims, who recorded 30 passing touchdowns in three seasons as a Yellow Jacket, will lead the Huskers as they start the season with road games at Minnesota and Colorado. Leading rusher Anthony Grant returns to take some of the pressure off of Sims. And new defensive coordinator Tony White will look to improve a defense that ranked in the bottom of the pack in the Big Ten last season. And the Cornhuskers also returned some of their top defensive players. Here's coach Matt Rule.
3: We feel like, hey, we're going to have a chance to compete in every game. But we're also humble enough to know that, you know, we have a chance, you know, if we don't play well, every team has a chance to beat us. So um, just trying to get our team to be a very much like kind of a day by day team, take that approach, uh, be humble, um, uh, but prepare at a high level. So uh, we want to go out there and try to win every game. Um, uh, but we know the other team is too. <laughs> but I like our guys. I like our team. I like the, the talent that we have. Um, it's, uh, it's a great way to, you know, to get the thing started the right way.
0: He's been a very uh, busy guy Desmond. But Pete, uh, what else can you talk to us about your conversation with Matt Rule today?
3: Well, I spent a couple of days in Lincoln in, in the Spring Victoria and Matt Rule inherited a program that was the consummate tease. They had historic amounts of losses in close games, and it was fourth quarter fades and special teams that were the two biggest culprits that undid the Scott Frost era. Rule has a full-time special teams coach in Ed Foley, which Frost didn't have until the tail end of his tenure there. And the players really struck me talking about practicing situational football. They feel like they're just so much more drilled down in the details now. They're gonna be execute better at the end of games. There's little things. Nutrition is different, weightlifting is more rigorous. They were more of an up-tempo, stay-in-shape, calisthenic program before from a lifting perspective. Now they're a little bit grittier. Matt drills and, and all that. So Matt Matt Rule is trying to find things in the margins, better special teams better conditioning and better preparation to make those one-score games flip the other way.
4: Tell you what, Pete, when I think about Nebraska, I mean you hit the nail on the head. Like this was a team that was always in every game, but somehow some way they would find a way to lose it. And it was normally a turn until it was a the result of a turnover late in the game or something of that magnitude, especially with Adrian Martinez at the quarterback position. I think when you're looking at this team, what they need to change is psychologically how they approach the fourth quarter. I know you talked about nutrition. You talked about weightlifting. But what they need to really hone in on right now is how they approach the the, the fourth quarter mentally, psychologically. Because that's when I think they start to fade. They start to make mistakes. And then they end up losing the game. I do think they have the talent to compete with just about any team in the Big Ten. But what is Matt Rue going to do to make sure his team doesn't fade mentally, psychologically in the fourth quarter and lose games that way? That's going to be the biggest um, change that I'm looking forward to when I watch Nebraska on the field in 2023. How do they look in the fourth quarter of games?
0: That whole mind-body approach is, is crucial, especially when you have a team that hasn't won a bowl game since 2015, hasn't had a 10-game winning season since 2012, and hasn't won a conference since 1999. So it's going to be getting over that hump. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return on College Football Live, we're handing out some superlatives in the Big Ten. Which teams have the best QBs, running backs, receivers, and more? More College Football Live coming your way. Welcome back to College Football Live. All right, Des, it is time now for some Big Ten superlatives. And basically, you're going to tell me which Big Big Ten team has the best in each of the major positions. Are you ready for this?
4: Yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am.
0: All right, we're going to start with which Big Big Ten team. It's a a tongue twister. Which Big Ten team has the best (laughs) quarterbacks?
4: Well, I think you have to start with uh, with Michigan. You're looking at J.J. McCarthy. I think not only is he probably the best quarterback in the conference, but he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And What I love about J.J. is he's so unselfish. Don't forget, during most of the season, he was just handing the ball off because Blake Blake Corn was on his way to win the Heisman He hurt his knee against Illinois, but when they needed him the most to do it against Ohio State, even against TCU, he was able to throw the ball down the field with incredible accuracy. So I think Michigan's quarterback uh, room is the best in the Big Ten right now.
0: All right, I, I agree with you. All right, what about running backs?
4: Running backs, I think you you got to go back to Ann Arbor. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at Blake, Blake, Horm, Blake is back. He's better than ever, but... Don't forget, he had Donovan Edwards, that man right there. Victoria, this man <laughs> with bananas on Ohio State with one hand, and it was his yeah. hand, not his dominant hand. And then he did it again in a Big Ten Championship game against Purdue. He, you can look at Blake Corham, you're looking at Donovan Edwards, the best running back duo in the country. So you just got to go with Michigan again. I'm sorry.
0: No, don't be sorry. I'm right there with you. We're just, we're just riding the <laughs> Michigan ship right now. All right, wide receivers and tight ends.
4: <laughs> this is when you take a trip to Columbus because right. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the guy who everyone's talking about is wide receiver number one. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a guy who... And then you got Ibuka, number two. Don't forget about him. He's just as capable because Marvin is so great. People forget they sleep on number two Ibuka. But I think that in Columbus, those two, and they have pretty good tight ends, too. Those two, though, best wide receiver tight end room in the country at this point. All right.
0: I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. Offensive line.
4: Okay. All right. Ooh-wee. Now, Victoria, it would be very easy to go to Ann Arbor because, I mean, the last two seasons, their offensive line won the Joe, uh, Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. But I'm going to go to Happy Valley. I'm going to go to Penn State. I think that their offensive line is going to be very good this year because they have two stud running backs to the block for Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, both young running backs, but very hungry, aggressive, fast, shifty. So I'm going to go with Penn State's offensive line because they're going to be out to prove something with those two horses they have in the backfield. I'm glad, I'm glad we're not
0: giving Michigan all the superlatives. All right, we got to give teams some, some other love. All right, what about the front seven?
4: So the front seven is kind of hard for me. It's kind of difficult. I think that I'm going to go with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Remember a year ago, like, their defense was just outstanding. It was the offense that couldn't stay on the field, and that's what really hurt the Iowa Hawkeyes. So I'm going to go with their, their front seven. They got guys like Joe Evans, Deontay Craig, And, of course, Logan Lee. So, if the offense offense can stay on the field for more than a couple of plays, then I think the defense is going to show you just how great they are again in 2023. So, I'm going with the Iowa Hawkeyes front seven. All right. I mean, they were second in total defense last season. Maybe they'll get
0: first. All right. Last but certainly not least, secondary.
4: Victoria, this may this was a very difficult one because you look at Mike Sandra still at, at Michigan and, and Will Johnson, the cornerback, who's probably one of the best if not the best cornerback in the country. But I'm going to go with Penn State because Penn State, they have a couple of cornerbacks too who are shut down cornerbacks. I mean, listen, you look at Kalen King, he may be one of the best cor- cover corners in the country. But on the other side, you got Johnny Dixon too. So you got two strong cornerbacks, up at Penn State, they always have some physical safeties that come down the hill and smack you in the mouth, too. So when it comes <laughs> to secondary, it was close. It was razor thin between Michigan and Penn State, but I'm going to give the edge to the Nittany Lions on this okay. one. Okay. Okay, I mean, Penn State Michigan got all the love with these
0: superlatives. We love to see it. We love some good superlatives. Desmond, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break right. and keep things rolling as we wrap things up here on College Football Live. We'll do some Big Ten win totals. Are the Michigan Wolverines in position for a perfect 12-0 regular season? We'll talk about it. The NFL's Back Together weekend is happening again with all 32 NFL teams practicing at their individual training camp sites. And Saturday, the NFL Live crew will have coverage from every one of them from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on ESPN and from 1 to 3 Eastern on ABC. Back Together weekend is also available on the ESPN app and NFL Network. All right, it is time now for Big 10 over under. All provided, all these win totals are provided by Caesars Sportbook. Are you ready, Desmond? Yes, ma'am. All right, let's start with Michigan. Over under 10 and a half regular season wins.
4: Oh, Victoria, that one is easy. Definitely over. I mean, Michigan is poised right now despite the 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 situation with Coach Harbaugh, he may miss coaching the first four games because he may be suspended. So despite that, they actually may encourage this team more than it discourages this team. It may light the fire under them that Blake Corum talked about at, at, at Big Ten Media Day. So I think that they're probably facing an undefeated season right in the face.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. All right. Wisconsin over (laughs) under eight and a half regular season wins.
4: Victoria, I I, got to go with over eight and a half wins because they're so excited. I mean, look, Luke Fickle and his staff just infused that whole program, that whole community with a lot of energy. Everyone is so excited about what they're bringing. They have a new attitude, a new offense, a new system. And they got Allen at the running back position. Over for the Badgers.
0: All oh, the Badgers. All right. You heard it from the best. For Desmond, EJ, Pete, I'm Victoria. Thanks for watching College Football Live.